It's Coco and Breezy, and you're listening to the Coco and Breezy podcast. If you want to feel inspired, feel like you're hanging out with your homegirls, and hear us keep it 100, then you're at the right place. This is a safe space. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Coco and Breezy. And if you don't know a little bit about us, we are founders of Coco and Breezy Eyewear, co-founders of the Lorca, and we are DJs and producers. Let's get right into it. Let's get it. Okay. So I'm Coco. Breezy and you're on the Coco and Breezy podcast. We're so excited to have our amazing friend Siobhan on here. Like this is everything. As you guys may or may not know, we kind of like low-key kind of moved to LA, but we're going to be back and forth between LA and New York. It's like safe to travel. Yeah, when it's safe to travel, we'll be back and forth. But um, we're excited to be closer to you, Siobhan. What is up? Ah, me too. I am... I feel like my I, I feel like my long lost sisters slash friends are finally just I can hang out with them, I can see them and just pour joy and support IRL. I think it's you know, it's we're in a crazy time where we establish so many connections and networks over over the internet. So I'm really happy for y'all to be in LA blessing blessing California with that energy and those vibes. Um, I'm, I'm hella excited. I'm just so glad you guys are here. I think it's, it's a good time. I'm just excited for you guys and all the momentum and all, all the new experiences, new good memories. So no, I'm happy. I, I spend a lot of time in New York myself. I love New York. I like all my favorite people, all of my friends that I really, that really show up for me and that I try to show up for are mostly in New York. I have friends here in LA too, but I feel like New York's kind of just like my soul, like soul match. So the more y'all out here, the the better. Okay, so I don't have to right. work now because I can just go down the street and call. <laughs> you give me New York energy, though. You yeah, pe- people people tell me that, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm a black girl from San Diego, but I'm like, my mom was a huge hip hop head. Like, she kind of put me on to like a lot of East Coast hip hop early on, and um, yeah, I think just. Fashion-wise, just so many creative in influences and inspiration from that part of the world. So it's crazy because us, we grew up in you know Minnesota, and our mom, she didn't really let us listen to hip hop music. She made us listen to like Spanish music or gospel. It was like one <laughs> or the other. Correctly. And we didn't really get introduced into like real hip hop music until we moved to New York when we were like nineteen. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a, but you know what? I I feel like. Uh, I feel like you guys are so well-rounded and like eclectic and just, uh, just like you feel, it feels just cultured. I, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes um, like getting to things later in your life so you can really understand what's being said. You know, it's like when you get exposed to stuff early on, it's like how people are, are watching like girlfriends and Moesha now and it hits different. Like yeah. stuff hits Stuff hits different when you get to learn about it later on in life. You just your understanding of it, it's it soaks in differently. So that's that's dope. It's ne- it's never too late. No, not at all. And how is how is San Diego? Have you been there before? No. I don't think you Oh, you guys, I'm taking you guys to San Diego. <laughs> how was how was the experience growing up and like how did you find yourself being San Diego? Now here. Yeah, San Diego, man. I so I grew up in so I grew up in like two parts of San Diego through like middle school. I was in kind of like this, this little smart, small part of San Diego called La Mesa. And then I moved to Southeast, which was, which is like basically like where all the black people are in San Diego. There's a pocket of black people at, at Southeast. Like that's where, that's where we're known for all of our like blood neighborhoods, our blood territory. Like that's where, that's where it goes down for San Diego. Um, so I moved there really young as well. I feel like growing up there was a lot of just being the only black person. And and you guys can probably relate to a certain extent, just being the only black girl in class, being the only black girl in band, being the only black girl in wind symphony, just being, it's very isolating, very isolating experience. And um, I think my parents just early on kind of like programmed my mind to kind of just not be a victim of circumstance and not sort of, 
be passive and like how I existed or took up space. Um, I don't know. They just kind of raised me in that way just to kind of, if I wanted to do something, just like figure it out and go do it. Um, they both are entrepreneurs. They, my mom owned a hair salon for like 30 years. My dad owned um, a neighborhood restaurant called the chicken shack. He has a food truck now, but when you guys come out there, like we're going to go on like a huge adventure, but, um, but yeah, so they, they sort of, I, I like got brought up like working alongside them. My dad has done a lot of community work. So very like entrenched in the community there. So, um, yeah, I think just growing up that way kind of just gave me a sense of accountability and made me feel a little less isolated, but I'd say like institution wise, like it was a lot of, a lot of racist stuff going on. Um, it was hard, but I also kind of had to get proactive about finding inspiration outside of my situation. So I was on the internet. I was, I read a lot. I wrote a lot of poetry. I read a lot of, a lot of Zora Neale Hurston, a lot of Maya Angelou, a lot of Langston Hughes. I read probably way too young to be reading, <laughs> reading some of the stuff I was reading, <laughs> honestly. But um, I read, I just read a lot to expand my imagination beyond what it was. And the moment I was able to leave, I was like, peace out. <laughs> I need to go see some people of color, see some culture. Like I just wanted to get out of there to go and um, be closer to like art forms that I, that I loved and appreciated from afar. Everything was kind of like a, a distance removed, even LA, like San Diego is not LA at all. Like mm-hmm. LA is right there. I would go up, I would come up here every now and then when I was younger, but, but not, not enough to sort of um, feel like, like, Oh, I had that sense of like that culture, like San Diego has its own thing. So so yeah. did you move to um, the Bay Area after San Diego? Yeah, so I went to the Bay after San Diego. I spent a lot of time in D.C. and New York, though. So when I was in college, mm-hmm. I did this internship program called UCDC, where I was able to intern in D.C. and take classes. I interned um, on Capitol Hill, and then I went back again and interned at the Department of Justice. So I like love this program so much. I did it twice. I ended up like performing at Howard's Homecoming, and I was just like yeah. having such a good time in D.C. So that's kind of how I ended up forming a lot of like friends and stuff out there through college. And then I just took advantage of like my. I went to a small school. UC Merced was like it's the newest UC campus, like UCLA, UC Irvine, etc. But I was the second graduating class. So my school was relatively new when I went there, but they had a lot of money and scholarship funds. So I was like, this school's in the middle of nowhere, but actually you're going to pay for me to go to school. That sounds great. Let me like, (laughs) right. Bet. Say less. Let me see what I can create. So yeah, that's kind of what I did, but I got to spend a lot of time on the East coast, which I was like, ah, it's so amazing out here. So yeah. So that's why you have like some East Coast like energy. Energy. <laughs> that and <is> music. <laughs> yeah, you do that. Have East East Coast music <laughs> or not music? You have big East Coast energy. That's hilarious. How, yeah, I feel like I want to dig a little deeper on like how because I obviously what you're doing now, like the work you're doing, is really bomb. Like I oh, love thanks, it. Y'all. Like literally, you insert yourself into these spaces that are you know you're probably one of the only one out of a couple. Black, like women. black women in the space and like you insert yourself in and like express blackness and not to say because we don't want to educate people but like you keep your like sternness on being like all right I'm gonna make sure our story is told correctly you know but did yeah. you, when you were younger because I feel like we probably had very similar growing up because we were like one of the only um black girls in school in elementary school middle school high school and for a while we kind of felt, um, we kind of felt like we, we had one point in our lives where we felt like we had to assimilate and then we found yeah. out who we were and we were like, hold on, this is me. Yeah. And this part of my blackness is in like certain things that we do, like I'm not going to assimilate to make people feel more comfortable. So when you, right. when you were younger, did you ever find yourself assimilating? And then as you got older, like, how are those experiences? So what was um, that breakthrough moment when you're like, you know what? F this shit. I'm about to do me. Man. Um, and uh, have you had a few like, has it been like a roller coaster <laughs> effect? Or shit, are you still on the journey? Right. <laughs> getting deep though. Um, getting deeper and all. Let me think. Dang. Uh, breakthrough. I, I, I'm thinking of, 
I don't know if this was, I think I was kind of, so in high school, I think high school was, high school was transformative for me because I just kind of being like being in band and I like, I, I ran track and played sports and stuff, but I was in band. Like, <laughs> like during the football games I had on that band uniform, I was marching. I couldn't sit with my friends, all the, all, all the dudes on the football team. Like I was, I was like, I, I ended up kind of like forging duality within myself because my brothers went to my high school before me. So so they were like cool or whatever. And the upperclassmen knew them. So I came in and they were like, oh, we know you so-and-so's little sister, whatever. So I'm like, yeah, I am, but I'm me. Like I'm doing my own thing. And they're right. like, okay. Like I kind of started beefing with a couple of the girls because I wasn't getting with their little program. I'm like, I'm not doing all that. I'm good. I'm doing my own thing. And they're like, you in band? What? You, you play the flute? What? Like, that's like, what? That's pretty whack. I'm like, whatever. Like, F you guys. So I kind of just immediately was like, whatever, screw you. Like, I like music. I'm going to keep doing music. Like, I don't care what you guys are doing. So I ended up playing basketball, though. So I kind of had like two different worlds that I was exposed to. <laughs> and, and I ended up being real cool with the dudes because that's just kind of more of my I'm just more kind of chill down to earth. I grew up with two older brothers. So that's just kind of my language. So Anyways, all the dudes I was cool with, all the dude athletes, they're like, look at Siobhan, her little band outfit. <laughs> That's crazy. So it ended up, at first I was like, uh, I'm like embarrassed. Like, I don't want to walk through the hallways with this outfit on sometimes. I know everybody's going to be posted up <laughs> in this section. They're going to see me. I don't want to get clowned. But, but after a while, I just like made it me. Like I made it work and people like, I like got respect for it. People are like, oh, Siobhan doing her little music thing. That's what's up. Like, they yeah. ended up just supporting me, and I was like, "That's you know, right." Look, you know, she's out here doing her little music. You know, I can play that little music flute. I know. Right? It's like whatever. That's what's well, up. I- <laughs> she got the blue shoes on. She doing her little thing. She gonna do her little field show, doing her little marching band thing. Yeah. So I started just like doing that, and then I was doing basketball, and I was just, I was just being me. I like, but I would never like. I would. For a long time, I only wore like pants. <laughs> like I was, I had something about my legs. I don't know. I was like a tomboy. So I, like, I have a lot of scars on my legs. So I was just kind of like, like slow to open up mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And I mean, we all went through the phase of we're obsessed with Paramore. Haley is amazing. Paramore is still one of the greatest. So I kind of went through a phase of just sort of like, I say just navigating into my self-confidence and like being okay with not being perfect. And I feel like every day is still to, to y'all's point navigating through that. But I feel like some of the, my biggest kind of like life defining breakthrough moments of being okay, being uncomfortable were for sure in high school, because you guys know people in high school are crazy. Like they are mean. so mean, crazy. So breaking through that and having support at home and my family being like, like, forget that. Like, I had support. I was a black person able to play a classical instrument. Like, I had, I had access, thank God, to even have that as an, as an option. As an adult now, I look back and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. They really paid all that money for, <laughs> for me to take those yeah, lessons. Wanted to play, I wanted to play clarinet. And what, what were you going to play? I forgot what I was going to play, but our parents couldn't afford it. Yeah. It costs so much money. Yeah. Oh, you guys wow. still, still found your way? Found your way back to music. That's crazy. Yeah. You know what? I wanted to play clarinet because all my little friends want, were playing clarinet. It's kind of trendy to play clarinet at our Low school. Key, yeah. Yeah. No, clarinet was popping. <laughs> You're cute when you play the clarinet. What do you play? Clarinet. Clarinet. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that, like, for us, I feel, now that I'm older and I feel more confident within myself, and I, I think once you know yourself, because you said mm-hmm. a really good point, one of our favorite quotes is, like, being comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know if we once we like find ourselves then our insecurities kind of like let down but when we're insecure that comes from us not really knowing ourselves too well and not being secure with ourselves so then we project on other people right you know right Mm -hmm. and I projected a lot like I used to be so defensive oh we both did we used to be like imagine one person being defensive but two people being the same thing yeah I feel bad for all my friends that had to go through that but it was because our growing up was like getting bullied for our skin color getting bullied for how we look our style our style that like that came that 
was moved on as adults with mm-hmm. us. And then once we let go of that, I'm like, I'm a powerful black woman. I'm about to use this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. What makes me different is what like the, like my differences are, are are what make me me like this is this is in, it's like rising. It's like rising above it to be empowered by it versus versus isolated. And again, it's like that's how they want you to feel. And it's like they, they end up winning when you end up, you know, reflecting that 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 pain and taking on that taking on their load. Like you said, it's them. It's not us. It's It's them. And like it's it's ongoing right I, I feel like it showed that that same villain those same villains show up in different ways throughout our past and our lives like they keep they keep they're gonna keep showing up so it's like we have to keep kind of staying resilient and the quicker we learn how to overcome it because it's not going to go anywhere it just represents itself in different ways at different levels different different tiers of your lives and careers so yeah you know what's powerful though is when you start realizing certain things we do, it's just part of us. And so, for example, I had a call with like this tech team in San Francisco that was, they're working on implementing something on our e-commerce site. And literally I was Zoom. running to the Zoom call and I'm doing video. I like doing video. I'm a video girl. I'm not doing yeah. that. I, I don't care. I don't yeah. care how I look. If I don't look okay, I'm still going on video and Zoom because I am comfortable within myself right now. Right. Thank you. And you look good. I mean, come on. Come on. Thank you. Even right now, we didn't get ready. We, we're just here. Y'all yeah. are amazing. <laughs> but so I jump on the Zoom call, girl. Didn't realize my hair scarf was still on. Didn't care. And jump on. I'm like, hair's tied up freshly. I'm like, hey guys. And then I look at the video. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm looking at myself trying not to laugh because I didn't realize my hair scarf was still on. And I felt like at that moment, I had to say something. Yeah, just I, I was like, hey, y'all, my headscarf is still on, but it's all good. Like, <laughs> Right, let's happen. carry on. Like, welcome to Black Girl Magic, okay? <laughs> right, in spectrum, in full duality. Yeah, I feel like that's a part of, um, it's a part of our culture. I think that we as, like, Black people in America, we don't get educated on our culture. Like, we do these things, but, like, we're not taught in school that, like, there's a certain things, the way that we laugh. The way that we say right. ebonics, the way that we right. um, we have to tie hair up at night. Like, why do I have to run to take my hair scarf off for a call and untwist my hair to pretend <laughs> something else is going on? And, yeah. and this is what's we going got, on. We're, we got nowhere to go after this. Like, we're in the house. Like, I'm really like not trying to do my hair for a damn Zoom call. Like what? Yeah, it's disruptive. Like you, you once you stop doing that, you realize, wow, I've been doing all of this for everybody else and not for me. Yeah. And then once you start getting to that point to be like, um, you know, I might make someone feel uncomfortable, but it's okay because people have to feel uncomfortable to learn because we exactly. felt uncomfortable for a long time. Because what I've noticed that even growing up in Minnesota, and maybe you can relate to this, since you were um, one of the only black black girls at your school in certain positions. Even for us, when I would invite like a, a homegirl over for like, you know, we, we do barbecues. We always like, had cookouts at our cookouts. house. Yes. By culture. But they would always mention like, oh, I feel uncomfortable. I'm the only white girl here. And I used to get so confused. I'm like, I'm the only black girl navigating at school. Every day. And as a, that's, that's like a, a very like important thing that I'll never forget, that that was always a constant conversation whenever we, we would invite our friends from school our house wow. and I used to be so confused that's so, so interesting confused. yeah that's crazy but it, again it's like you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't walk a step in my shoes that's crazy yeah. it's crazy again it's crazy to think about what we have to endure just exist our existence and what it encompasses every day that other people don't even have to think about right how is it like navigating um how was it like navigating your work life? Like when you first got into, like, what was your first like big girl job straight out of college? Oh man. So my, uh, my first official job was at Twitter when I worked for Twitter, um, right out of college, I I interned at Google and that's how I kind of got my, um, my entrance to tech like officially. But yeah, when I, when I worked for Twitter, I went to Twitter and, um, kind of just ended up just grinding it out. I started as an intern and got hired full time. It was before Twitter was public. It was when Twitter was like small. 
um, create white. I went there right before IPO, got to pay off some student loans, you feel me? But um, yeah, I went there and it was crazy. I was the first, the first black person on my team. I was the, the second black person to ever like intern for the company. I was the first black woman um, on my team, the youngest person on my team, the youngest black person on my team. So I was on the, their marketing and communications team, which is crazy because the team was so small when I went there, but um, I, they, they didn't hire nothing. No black people in no black women or black people ended up getting on my team until I was there for like a couple of years uh, until so same thing at Instagram, frankly, when I got there first black person, youngest black person, youngest person. And then a, like a couple of years passed and, you know, they started to hire more people, but it's crazy to think about if you think about our impact on these platforms and how much, how much our art dominates what's popular on the platforms. We don't have a seat at the table internally. Like there's a disconnect. Right. But having someone like you there, I'm sure like shifted so many different decisions and like, I don't know. Did you ever feel like with you being like when you first had the first job at Twitter, was it ever challenging for you to insert your ideas at all? Or did you already feel like super liberated? Yeah, no, it was, it was tough. It, I'd say again, it's like inserting your ideas, but it's like you're educating at the same time. So it's never easy and it's always trying to, for me, it's always been trying to communicate that like black people aren't monolithic. We're not just, this is, this is the experience and, and that's it. You know, that's that, right. you know, there's diaspora, there's nuance, like all of our experiences are so varied and different. Um, trying to communicate that from the perspective of one person, because they look at me and they just see me. Right. So that's, that's their understanding. And, being being black in tech before it was cool like now it's cool to be black in tech when when i started off in tech being black like there's nothing cool about it it was sort of very it was very isolating it sucked because you you were you know around people who are like why are you here why are you making the same amount of money as me like what's going on here (laughs) like what's up like a bunch of very privileged ivy league individuals a bunch of white dudes um, a bunch of just culture shock for people. And for me, I didn't show up, you know, with sort of feeling like, oh, I'm going to assimilate. I kind of just realized like, hey, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to actually be on the exact opposite spectrum mm-hmm. to make, to actually get them normalized and used to me looking on this spectrum. So if I, so basically anything from here is going to be me turning down if I'm chilling out, like, I'm showing up in Tim's if I want. I'm showing up in a gold chain. I'm showing up with yes. an afro. I'm about to show up as all these things so you can see, hey, this is, I'm going to set the bar as this is what it is. Like I have friends who work in tech who kind of learned over time, kind of learned the hard way in trying to like show up with like these straight, straight weaves and like keep their hair tucked and just trying to blend in because it, it is tough. Like they don't want to field questions about their hair, or their identity. They don't, that's nothing to do with their job, but it ends up to have everything to do with your job because it starts to paint your whole experience at a place like that. So for me, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go in guns a blazing to let these people know, like we need to start normalizing how we are. Like to your point about the scarf situation, like we need to start normalizing ourselves in these spaces. If we don't, we never will. Like, we never will be invited or allowed to just be if we don't start just being in the space. That's the first step. It's just existing as you are. So for me, um, at Twitter, it was definitely about just showing up as I was. And like, that's that. That's it. Like you have engineers, people who show up here in like slides and flip flops and like crazy stuff. And nobody thinks twice about it. Right. But don't let you show up with like some braids going all the way down to your face. That are blinds. Right. It's a whole TED talk. When I'm showing up with Afro one day and then wig the next, it's a TED talk. <laughs> Why isn't it a TED talk with old dude over there with a Patagonia vest and some Daisy Duke shorts and some slides? Why? <laughs> What's up? Where's the disconnect? Why am I a spectacle and he's not? I don't get yeah. it. You're not trying to touch him and fill his vest. Why are you trying to touch my head? Yep. It's true. It's true. 
Or like, oh, did you wash your hair? Or did you take a shower because you didn't wash your hair? I'm like, please don't ask me these questions, you know? Uh, and it's right. so funny. So Breezy and I, we have a story when we were um, pitching to investors softly. We haven't been around yet. But we wore a suit. Because I was like, let me just try this out. But it was a cute suit. It was like, I had like a yellow suit on. I think he probably had no shirt. It was like the, it was like very fashion girl about to walk on a red carpet type suit. Yes. You know, and Breezy too. But still, the fact that I wore a suit to a meeting, it changed my psyche because I could wear a suit to a red carpet or an event. Right. Um, but the fact that in my head, I knew that I was wearing this suit to walk into this meeting. To try to get taken To seriously. try to get taken seriously. I, we weren't able to perform the way we usually uh, We perform. weren't authentic. We weren't authentic. And they saw that. They saw it. They like, said, you guys are uncomfortable. And oh I was like, God. I can. You're right. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. Wow. And they're like, as soon as, and then I was like, we just need to, I need to let loose now. And as soon as we let loose, they're like, okay, this feels this is more you. like you. This is you. Well, it's like Shark Tank. Yeah. There's not a lot of people like them that would have pointed it out. You know what I mean? And it's like, right. we as, black women in the spaces that we're in when it comes to like being in like tech and music and like navigating two different complete world, like completely different worlds and feeling like on our music side, we all can be like super eclectic. We can like be ourselves, be individuals, but then like on our business side of things, we want to be that. And I think that we're comfortable being that, but there, it, it comes with a level of baggage of being like, am I going to be taken seriously when I walk into this meeting yeah. with an investor who he looks at me and doesn't relate to me. Right. So I'm already being judged. Right. Right. He looks at me and, and his ears turn off. He looks yeah. at me and he sees my ideas differently because of how I look. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. we went like a whole little phase where we were like, do we need to change ourselves? And we're like, no, if people don't get it, they're not for us. They're not for exactly. us. Woo, that's like. You know have, girl, you know what they need to have low key? You know how they be having like those little dating shows where you can't see the person that's like fitching for like a date? They should yeah. have. I think all VCs should VC not should look have at people. They should, because I know yeah. that. Like we were in a meeting one time in this, um, white man he, who's an investor who's an investor literally told us he feels more comfortable in investing in this other white guy who doesn't understand his product market fit but he um, worked at like apple or worked at some big company he'll figure it out after i give him the money and i was like so what so you're pretty much saying that you'll feel more comfortable investing in him than like us who like we didn't go to college but we like built something out of nothing right how but but you'll take your risk on this I'm literally, it's like you're literally a whopping anomaly, but yet, yet you made it work in spite of everything. Right. Yet, this guy. Yeah. But people do say that they, they, a lot of times people invest, especially in that world, they like feel more comfortable talking to people that they, that they can relate to or that look like them. Or have you ever noticed, um, like being a black woman, people will ask you questions in a different way. So like you might have your counterpart or your, someone else that's a colleague and someone will ask that person, like, hey, you know, I know that X, Y, and Z might be challenging, but how are you going to, like, how are you going to, you know, shift this challenge? But me as a Black woman, I've noticed that people will go straight to the negative and they'll say, like, I don't, not, I don't think you're ready to do X, Y, and Z. Instead of asking, yep. how can I... What can I do to can like, I do better prepare myself for exploring? So they're asking the same question, but they ask <laughs> yeah. in a different way. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Definitely. I mean, I've worked at a place and been told that I'm pretty lucky for me being who I am to be making like what I make, like literally doing the job of like 13 people. And it's like time for reviews. It's time for promo. I'm like, yo, you guys need to run me my money. Like, what's up? Yeah, what's good? I got the check the points on the board. I got all the receipts. Like, what's up? And they're like, actually, like, like my my manager at the time, crazy, literally told me on the record, like, like you're you're honestly you're you're making really good money. Like, I don't want you to think you're not making good money. Like for someone like you, basically for a black girl. And then she tried to like make it about age. It's like, girl, that's now racism and ageism. Right. What are you doing, girl? Girl, you zooming in on the age. That's not making it any better. You just told me for my black young self, I'm I'm doing good to be here with y'all. Huh? No. <laughs> she no. I need to be paid exactly what you're being paid because I'm actually doing 10 times 
work and I'm doing it better than you and everybody else here actually yeah. with no resources because you won't, you won't give me a team. You won't do these things with me because I'm black and I'm lucky to be here. It's crazy. But if we, again, you start, you, once you're told that so many times, you start to adopt that ideology psychologically for yourself and you start to shape your life and expectations around that. You start to let that drown, drown your reality. And then you start to lose sight of like your value and your magic and who you are. So you got to be careful. No, it's true. I want to talk about your Black Joy Matters now. Oh, yeah. Tell me Black Joy Matters. That article is amazing. Our interview was Oh, my God. Favorite interviews ever. Oh, that's so good. I, it turned yeah. out so good. Yeah. Thank you for having us oh. part of So Bomb. Of yeah. course. Of course. I mean, you guys, I've been following your guys' journey for a long time before. I mean, before I knew you personally. I was just always like, look at these. Yeah, like, look at these dope. I was, man, what was I, in college maybe? When, basically when all the, all the New York kids, even Susie, even Susie, African creature is what I knew her as via Tumblr. Like yeah. Tumblr era, I'm like, yo, who are these sick ass people in New York? Like, I need to get to New York. Stat, like, who are these people? Like, I need to get to New York. These pe- These people are amazing. They're killing it. So it's like, it's um it's it's so crazy how life works and how again you keep zooming into your passion and like what fuels you and like trying to lift as you climb. Like I feel like that's kind of like the number one thing I, I that I wanna keep doing and that I pride myself in, just how how can we stay accountable for each other because we all we're all we have. Like nobody's coming to help us, nobody's coming to save us. Like we can only get so far leaning on these entities and institutions. So mm-hmm. anyways, I'm so glad that it turned out good. Like anytime I can act help, like you guys are shining. Anytime I can help pour some black fluid on that, shoot, I'm going to do it. Can I say one thing about you? One thing about you is you're like, you're about your word. Mm-hmm. Like some people are always like, oh, I'm all about, you know, such and such empowerment or I'm all about this or I can help you here. And you're like one of those friends that you be keeping your word. Ah, uh, like, that's you like, you like helping your people. Bond. Yeah, your word is so bond. Ah, uh, that's good. You come from such a beautiful, genuine place. And I, I just want to say I appreciate it a lot. Ah, uh, thanks, y'all. And you're busy, too. And even the fact that you're like, oh, you guys need help, like, getting your place together. And you're so busy. Like, I even appreciate you saying that, you know? Ah, uh, thanks, y'all. You put goodness out, you get it back. That's, yeah. that's man, you guys... Like I said, we we're not accountable for each other. Who is it's like? Uh, and who it's is? like we have to stick together. You know, we're in this world as black women mm-hmm. alone, not alone, but like we have to continue to keep yeah. building each other up and helping each other from all different aspects. Right, from every part of advice because we can only give each other the best advice. I know we don't talk enough. Like I mean, we don't, especially now in this pandemic situation, I think it's so important for us to all, for us to be talking more. Like I'm trying to get on myself more about reaching out to friends and talking. I think like we get so caught up doing our own thing and fighting our own fights. Like we'd be really in, really in the trenches on our own battles. Like it's hard to remember, like, actually, damn, let me check. Let me check in with so-and-so or let me just talk to someone. Like I'm in a war. She might be in the same war. We might be able to share tactics. Like you got to, or rates or whatever people think they have to get to some level to be able to like share. And it's so, so not true. Yeah. So not true, but, but yeah, black, black joy matters. Um, man, it's for me, like from being at all these tech companies during these crazy cycles and it's become way too cyclical black bodies being hashtags and it's just like um, being at Twitter during Trayvon Martin, during Mike Brown, during, like, during Ferguson, then going to Instagram and Facebook and being there for whatever happened while I was there. It's just, it's gotten way too commonplace, frankly, for my comfort. It's, there's a different level of, uh, of trauma you experience working for these places, at these places. You look around and people are like coming to work business as usual, or they're, they're, they're out of touch or, or, they're, they're not seeing it through the same lens you are. They're not seeing themselves laying on the ground dead. You are. So right. it's, 
it's a heightened level of sensitivity you have as a black person working at these platforms again. And you're not, you're one of not many working at these platforms. So it's just, it's an experience like no, like no other, like none other. And, um, right now, I think just from maturation and, and trying to do the work while I, while I have a seat at the table at these places, just trying to do the work. And I get to the seat at the table. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. At the table. <laughs> Thanks guys. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to do the work. It's, uh, it's hard. It's, it's tiring, but it's necessary. And, um, black joy matters to me. It was just sort of this moment of, Hey, I gotta, I gotta take care of myself. We gotta take care of ourselves. It was like, wow, this is crazy, but clearly this stuff isn't getting better. Like we, the fight continues, like so eat soldiers have to rest. We have to, be mentally, physically, spiritually well. We cannot do what needs to be done if we're not well. And yeah. we're, we can't keep showing up. We're tired. We're exa- so many people, so many of our friends are like, I'm tired. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And it's like, damn, if you're tired, we're, we're fucked if you're tired. Yeah. Like, if you're tired, if we get tired, we're screwed. So it's like, what are we doing? And then I... I absolutely feel like we're in like our modern day black renaissance. Like if you think about James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, all these people who wrote these personal essays and documented their times at the height of just socioeconomic and just like civil tension. We're at that time right now where we're in a renaissance. There's a lot of stuff going on and we're being forced and pressured and just like challenged to create and document. And the fact that we have the internet us to dark document and archive our stories the way we want to. I find so much power in that. If you look back at history, when other people, others were in charge of telling our stories, painting our narrative, mm-hmm. um, it's A, it's wrong, right? A, B, it's forgotten. We can't l- get a sense of ourselves or our foundation. If we look back, look far enough back, it, our history is all purposely deleted and disjointed right now we're in a position where we can actually totally eradicate that and archive our stories the way we want them told in our own voice, the way we want to be represented. Like you have the CN Black Project, you have photographers, you have artists, like you guys, musicians, like we're taking our narrative back and telling our own stories through the mediums available to us. And Mm -hmm. in hundreds of years, people will be able to look back and see us the way we wanted to be seen because we took the photo, we posted it, we're telling our stories the way we want to be told. So Black Joy Matters as a call to action is just that. Like it's a it's a declaration that like black people don't just deserve to be alive. We deserve to be happy. Mm-hmm. We deserve to be seen and remembered how we want to be seen. And we deserve to celebrate all that we are, inclusive of the trauma, but not exclusive mm-hmm. to the trauma. So that's it. Like that's Black Joy Matters in a nutshell. Like me doing it with Visco is important because Bisco is all about photography and documentation of stories and storytelling. And Bisco's always showed up for black creators and creatives. Bisco's always paid black creatives and creators. Like a lot of the stuff that I have seen Bisco doing prior to me even going there with like the hair appointment working and then working with Joshua Kissy and working with people since day one. Right. And Bisco, Bisco is very small. Bisco is a startup. But Visco's reach, Visco's platform is so huge and so great. And I think it's, it's such a testament to the leadership there and such a statement that they allowed this to come to life and that they, this is what they've been about. It's not performative. It's right. not important. Oh, right. Oh, let's figure, let's jump on this. No, they've been on it and they, they laid the foundation before I even got there for me to be able to just come and, and do this with their community because Let's think about how many communities exist that this project would not be able to flourish on, on top of, with all the hatred, all yep. the negativity, all the crazy stuff. So anyways, that's Black Joy Matters is like in, in the essence, just like a call to action for the world to like see Black people the way we want to be seen and celebrate us and for us to celebrate ourselves. You know what I think it's important as well? And this is some, it's a conversation that we've been having is that I'm happy that we're talking about our story because we get put into the category of um, BPOC. Ah, uh, yeah. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that is because we as Black people, especially being African-Americans in America, 
We don't learn our heritage the way that we should learn it. And then we get put into the box of people of color who have different stories than us. And they have different challenges and different traumas. They don't necessarily share. I mean, there's a lot of crossover, but there's a lot of trauma that you just don't have if you're not African-American in America. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm excited that people are being more open to understanding the differences. Mm And again, there are a lot of crossovers, but there's also a lot of trauma and that we as black people have went through that we have, yeah. we know our story. We're still trying to figure it out because we don't learn it. Right, right. We were kept literally barred from, from knowing. We couldn't, we were barred from being able to read. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Like, if you really think about it, it's so crazy. Like, like, our, I mean, the experience of, if you look at segmentation just within our community, like the experiences we're talking about as black women are so different than the black experience. Like 100%. It's all so nuanced. And yeah, that people of color, people of color, people of color, like, nah, this is different. If you want to get even deeper, the experience of a black trans woman is different. So different. That's why I think it's so important that we all know our own privileges. I know that if I'm in a room with a black trans woman, I know that I have the privilege that I'm going to stand up for my sister and I'm going to hold right. her down. You know what I'm saying? And so that's right. why for like people that are non-black, they should understand their certain privileges. And it's really about the society, what society thinks of I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I was at, I was at um, Dumbo House in Brooklyn. Recently. Girl, recently. I'm talking oh, about God. like two weeks ago. Girl, they took a minute for my check. I wasn't tripping about that. But I, I no, didn't they take a minute to give you your food? And my food. They took a minute to give me a couple of things. So I walked over and me walking back. The, my, fir- the first time I walked, so I, I walked back and forth maybe two times. The first time was go to the bathroom. And then I said hi to a friend and walked back. And then I walked over again to um, ask the waitress for my check. And on my way back, this white man said, excuse me, you work here, right? And girl, no. I, I was fab that day. I, I'm not. I'm not like a name dropper, but I had like a designer shirt on. I was fab. I was Clearly. like, I was doing it up that day because I haven't been out. I haven't gotten cute, cute in a minute. All so right. I was cute. Sunday's <laughs> best. I stepped yeah. out. I was cute, cute. She was look like a model that day. I mean, every day, but this day, baby, I was shining. I was right. shining that day, right? And he asked me like, "Oh, you work here, right?" And I said, "Girl, I was." I was so caught off guard. I was like, excuse me. He's like, you work here. And I have a question. I said, do I look like I work here? He's like, oh, well, you're walking back and forth. You keep walking back and forth. And I was like, if I was a white woman, would you have asked me if I worked you here? You definitely wouldn't have done that if I was a white right? woman. Hey, do you work here? And girl, girl, guess what his, girl, guess what his friend said? And she was a brown woman, Indian. She, girl, she told me to stop being so sensitive. No, she didn't. Yes. She told, during this time... And Breezy was Girl, so twenty in August. And Breezy was so chill. She just said, "If I were a white woman, would you have asked me if I worked here?" And I'm like, she's like, oh my gosh, stop here. being so sensitive." You know what's so crazy? That's like, a, they bullied her. They bullied me. Never apologized. Never like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. I was like, I'm a member here, just like you are. And then the, wow. um, the waitress, she's a black woman. I started kicking with her. I'm like, girl, they just. This, I'm like, girl, they just asked me if I worked here. And now she's tight. She's like, she felt she was on my side. Because my right. I worked there had on blue top sign or tan pants. And then he was like, oh, well, you could be a manager. Because I don't have the outfit on. So, like, he never not one time apologized. Acknowledged. Like, you know what I'm saying? Wow. And so I'm like, it, it made me think. I'm like, we could all work so hard to be in certain spaces and still never get recognized or even, like, for right. them, like think that we're supposed to be like, I'm literally just walking to go ask for my receipt and then to the bathroom and he really assumed that I work I, I, I work I work he he assumed you work for him you yeah. oh well, this person works for me in this moment like Kanye said even if you in a binge you're still a, in a coup like what dang that's crazy like I'm here with you doing meetings saying hello to people wow but I gotta work here wow yeah, she didn't even have. I guess, girl. I guess if you had the navy blue or whatever blue shirt and, and the khaki pants, not in navy, uniform at all. Navy. But the fact that you had, girl, you had like a green 
patterned shirts and leather pants. It was cute. And the crazy part for me is like, in those moments when I see those videos on Instagram, when I'm at home, I'm like, ooh, I would have cussed them out. But when you're in the moment, you're so shocked that right. I, I wanted to cry. Caught off guard. I didn't even cuss them out like I wanted to. When I went yeah. home, damn, I should have said this. But in reality, I was so caught off guard. I was just so hurt. And I felt like I was being bullied. Yeah, because it you were. And you know what, though? They do that to poke. They, they want to poke the bear. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's best that you maintain your grace and simply... Yeah course corrected and old girl talking about why are you being, being like, sensitive in 2020 what you know but you know what it's cool because they're gonna get somebody on the wrong day they're gonna when pe- people like that i'm like oh you lucky you got me today because you're gonna yeah. get somebody with nothing to lose on the wrong day and they're gonna tear into you so bad and you're gonna be looking around like your jaw might be on the floor or you might not even be conscious looking around when waking up, like what happened? Right. Keep, and that's trying that. Exactly. And I think that's why like, Brie, we, you always handle things with grace and yeah. I do too, but that, be, that also catches stuff. But I'll tell you, this thing, if I run into a Karen, I'm not handing, I want to run into a Karen one time. <laughs> Karen, <laughs> Karen, who asked you? Grace. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Sometimes you gotta hit them. I forget is it Tony Morrison or or uh, or Maya Angelou. Sometimes, sometimes you gotta hit them with that. Excuse me, what? Sometimes you gotta check, check, checkmate. It's time. I'm giving out checks. Who wants to be checked? Everybody. Let's who. My mom's always checking people. She will check you real quick, real stern. She won't. She won't get disrespectful. But maybe that's how we are. Yeah, like don't ever do that again. You tried it, and I hope you never do it again. Oh, yep. what? Yep, and have a good day. It's like checking with grace. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the people favorite part is that I think for us, for me at least, to I think it hurt. I've noticed that like people grasp it more, and they get caught off guard when you <laughs> grace. Yeah. You know, but when you yeah. start yelling and stuff, yes, we we do that because yeah. we're angry. But when, when you like, for me, this is my tone. And people get, I'm like, excuse me, did you just X, Y, and Z? And they're, they're, they're what? They what? get so uncomfortable. I'm like, and, but that's oh the thing. When I, feel, when I feel threatened and someone disrespects me, I just handle it with grace. And they, they're like, okay. And they feel even more like, Damn. yeah. And I think it's important right. for us to stand up for ourselves. And that moment, Breezy, was very sad because it's like like Brie was saying when we think we can be in these spaces mm-hmm. and we get treated it's like it's a reminder to be like, like dude it's like we try to fight so hard for this mm-hmm. acceptance and for this access and this the status and yeah damn, look at you you still you still you got the same money the same membership as them but it's still not the same for you right no, not at all crazy but that was yeah a, that was an example of of a woman of color who told me I was being too sensitive. You know what I'm saying? But then I had a black woman who understood why I was feeling sensitive. Right. Why it was a sensitive matter. This this woman who's a POC, she may not understand. She has her own experience. She has her own experience, but she doesn't understand my experience. And that's why I'm happy that people are starting to separate the POC experience versus like the black experience. I'm sure there's a lot of crossovers, but there's a lot of differences. Right. Yeah, it's it's necessary because again, now you you're just isolating. You're you're not even just isolating. You're deleting us. Yeah, we don't exist. Because if I was with a homeboy and he said that, I would. If I was her, I would have checked him. Like, like, nah, woman to woman type shit. Right. Like, yo, to being woman, like you're out of pocket. Why would you say that to her? Right. Like, nah, you messed up, dude. Just own it and move on. Like, like own it. If I've ever thought someone works somewhere, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I, I, I say sorry right away. I'm like, I'm so, so, so sorry. Like the way right. that you're doing this, you look like you knew what you were doing. Like I'll over explain because we right. all by accident. Right. But we're not at Target and you're not wearing a red shirt at Target and he thinks you work at Target. Right. We're at Dumbo House and um, what are you doing? Like, and we're at Dumbo House in a pandemic. Why are you even talking to me actually? Right. <laughs> Do you have a mask on? Why are you talking to me? Exactly. That's crazy. I've had I've had a couple of different episodes like that. 
at Soho and Dumbo at West Hollywood, meat packing. It's gotten to a point where they they email me like, "Hey, how did it go?" Like, "Yeah." So here's here's what happened. They're like, "Oh, we see you visited this house. How was your experience?" Because <laughs> they know I'm like, again, I'm like, love Soho House, love a lot of the people there. But guess what? You need to do better when it comes to these three things. And actually, I'm going to help you. I'm going to work with you on curating some events. I'm, guess what? I'm just not going to be a deadbeat also because I'm paying you. So I need to focus on getting the experience I want because I'm, I'm a customer. So if I'm not getting the product and service I want, some of that's on me, right? If I don't say anything, that's on me. So since you got your hand in my wallet... I'm enjoying what's going on here for the most part. Let me tell you how you can make this better and actually let me help you. If this is something you need help with, let me help curate some things. Let me work with you. Like, cause again, if we don't work with the space, us will still be yelling, shouting from the outside. That's what sucks. And let's build our own space. There's Ethel's club there, but you gotta do both because you gotta have one foot in both doors because you know, that's what they want. They want us to get discouraged and never come back. They, and we know who they are. The yeah. bigots, the crazy people, they want us to think we don't belong and just get discouraged and feel sad and bullied and just go to a corner and cry. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. But we're not doing that. They ain't getting it. Oh, no. <laughs> Siobhan, we enjoyed talking to you. Yes, thank uh, you for your time. We always end our um, episodes with words of affirmation. Oh, so love. Think of some affirmations, about three of them. No, you don't have to say oh, you can that. say one. We can say one each. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. I love that. Um, mine is I am worthy. Yeah. Love it. I'm going to say I am powerful because as we're talking about what we've been through as like black people and me and black women, we're so freaking powerful. And yes. mine is I am hopeful. Ooh, I like that. You know? That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. I mean, I can't wait to see y'all. I'm so, so excited for you guys being here. I'm so glad to see you guys happy and continuing to do well. Can't wait to to meet up this week and hang out. Ah, so anyways, more to come. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you to everyone that is listening to the Coco and Breezy podcast. And you guys all love and gratitude and happiness and um, peace and love, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Coco and Breezy podcast. We are so grateful that you took the time out to hang out with us. I'm Coco. And I'm Breezy. And do not forget to follow us on all social media channels at Coco and Breezy. If you have any comments or feedback or want to hear some topics from us, just send us a message. And check out our website, www.cocoandbreezy.com. Peace and love, y'all.